Zeros on zeros. That's what my bank account balance say. I got a check from a shoe company. Now I do anything in New Balance say. I bought a plane to get out of state. I got me a shorty from Runaway. Said I'm in town today. She said she coming over and she down to stay. I got a hit. She been playing that shit. So when she pull up on me, I know what she about to say. What's poppin'? Brand new whip just hopped in. I got options. I can pass that bitch like Stockton. All right, folks, we back once again live in Greenwood. Bonjour, shalom, and what's up? And welcome to episode 96 of How You Living. I think it's like the fifth one we've done during these uh, social distancing times. It's for real. We are uh, quarantined apart from each other. I'm here live in the Just Paid Rent studios of Greenwood. And Chaz, as always, atop the Chaz Tower in the newly renovated Million Dollar Studios. The number one podcast in Greenwood, back again. Uh, we like to start this show off with a little question that I posed to my friend and comrade in arms, Chaz Simmons. Uh, how you living, man? You know what? I'm doing all right. You're doing all right. Remember last time we talked and I was all like, it's hard to find a primary care physician. And I don't know how yeah. to do this during the pandemic. Well, apparently if I just go to like polyclinic, I can find a primary care position. Position. <laughs> position. That, that's who I use. Nice. <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah. So yeah, they got a bunch of locations. They take most insurances. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, if you call your insurance company, they'll give you kind of a list of uh, in-network providers, uh, and then a place like the Polyclinic where they've got a bunch of neighborhood locations. So it's good for. Um, you know that for not having to go too far to your appointment. So mm-hmm. um, congratulations on uh, moving into the world of primary care providing. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I'm living pretty good, too. Uh, today is set up to be the hottest day of the year here in Seattle. Oh, damn. Uh, we're going to be pushing uh, the temps up to about 95 today. Whoa. Yeah, so Whoa. Uh, hot days in uh, in Seattle. Um yeah, all things still on the front lines, still wearing my mask, washing my hands a lot, and uh, watching the circus that is the uh, the politics of today. Um, Indeed. If you're getting your politics from Facebook, please delete your account. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. You need to you need to be going to uh, better sources. Your friends are not telling you the truth about coronavirus. Your friends are not telling you the truth about this election. No, Bill Gates did not create COVID-19. Uh, the fact that I have to say that is crazy. Um, so that's the world I'm living in, uh, trying to stay positive in, a, in an interesting situation. Um, you know, people are still dying. This thing is serious. So, mm-hmm. 160,000 uh, people as of right now. Any, any kind of measure to say that this wasn't a real thing or that we shouldn't have locked down uh, aren't taking into consideration the lives that have been affected uh, by people being uh, severely sickened by it or actually lost loved ones or their own life. So um, take it seriously, folks. Uh, don't don't listen to the Facebook headlines and actually uh, go find sources that are um, legitimate. And, and then maybe you'll actually live in a world and uh, you'll, you'll understand what's going on as opposed to just spewing rhetoric so that's the first question uh, a segment we've put on hold a few times during this quarantine is another segment we like to start every show with which is a look back at the 95 
episodes. I think this is 96. <clears throat> yeah, 96. Uh, 96. Uh, R.I.P. Tupac. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, 96. Uh, it's a it's a it's a look back in a segment we like to call callbacks. Callbacks. That's right. So, anything on your mind, man, that we've talked about? Obviously, most of the things are still going on. Yeah, I mean, I I just wanted to I wanted to talk about uh, Kamala Harris again since she was just the uh, the VP pick, and that's what all the all the podcasts I listen to and all the news I've been seeing has been around. Kamala Harris being the pick, what does that mean, right? right. And it's very interesting because I like the fact that she was considered the safe pick, even though she's like the first black woman and first Indian American woman to become a VP pick on anyone's ticket ever. Um, yeah. She's not the first woman. I don't know if Sarah Palin was the first woman. There might have been someone uh, before that as vice uh, there president. There was in the, in the 80s. Um, uh, didn't Michael Dukakis pick a uh, or or was it James Buchanan? Someone picked one in the eighties, and she's uh she's been in um kind of a, a commentator on politics ever since. Oh, okay, nice. Um, let's see. We'll just do a quick. Uh, yeah, while you look that up, I can riff on her because I listened to quite a few podcasts. Um. Uh, and almost everybody was talking about uh, like her accomplishments and everything like that. And I remember when you talked about her almost a year ago, like to the day, almost um, back when she was running um, in the or sorry, she was running for president and how she took uh, Joe Biden to task. So it was very interesting to see that. Like, I think she's going to be a really good VP pick. I know yeah. that like I wanted to get like kind of a, a barometer of what my friends felt like about her. Um, and I felt like my very liberal friends were very excited for her. Like, I feel like she ticks all their boxes for who they would want as um, a VP. Um, I think some of my more uh, progressive friends or further down on the left friends are still still find her problematic because of what she did as an AG. Um, yeah. And and as state attorney of uh, or <clears throat> when she was. State uh, Attorney General. Attorney General of yeah, yeah. I forget her exact path because like she was, she was, I think she was an assistant DA in San Francisco, then went on to yeah. be AG of California, and then went on under to... under a time period where the expansion of the private prison system and the population of prisons in California skyrocketed, mm -hmm. and she oversaw some of the largest um, incarceration rates in that state's history. Yeah. And including some pretty lofty sentences for marijuana possession and distribution charges. So mm -hmm. uh, which um, overall um, mostly affected uh, minority groups and people of color. So um, she does have a, a, a shaded past. Um, before we finish up on her, just to chime in, it was Geraldine Ferraro in 1984. She was Walter Mondale's oh, vice presidential okay. nominee against uh ronald reagan and i believe george bush uh first george bush and um she did pass away in 2011 but she was a contributor to nbc news and, and politics for the years after her nomination so oh that's cool shout out to geraldine ferraro but yeah back to um kamala and that and that's the pronunciation right kamala uh-huh not yeah. kamala yeah so yeah kamala no. Harris, um, and and she was born in America. <laughs> yes, Oakland, California, to be specific. 
how well oh she was born in oakland so she's not american no <laughs> so so how how did we get a second birther movement like like how are we what's happening here? i mean it's it's old it's old trump playbooks it's old uh republican tr- playbooks i mean like it seems like their technique is if you bring someone on vaguely in quotations ethnic it's basically going to be like well are you really american like were you born here like yeah, and I yeah. don't know. Like, I, I don't, I don't know where I was sold this lie of America being a melting pot. Like, I don't think it's a lie. I do think certain areas of America are melting pots, right? But I, I was, I, the way I say I was sold the lie is more so that I thought all of America was like America is a melting pot, and now America is like no, be white yeah. or get the fuck out, right? Like, and maybe that's like that's hyperbolic, yes. But like, anytime something like this happens, it's like, come on, really? And, and that's. Well, it- it's that Trump narrative of uh, the white ownership being under attack, mm-hmm. like the the like you know ownership of this country or of their land or of their economy or whatever, and that somehow it rang true in certain counties and districts and states that uh, people felt uh, you know abandoned by either the Obama administration or the government as a whole, and somehow by ringing these very race, racist and kind of racially uh, biased bells. They're able to, to signal each other to, to rally to these causes that are, you know, it's, it's chaos. And I don't know how the birther movement with Obama got so much traction. And I, I don't even know how the word birther is a word that we have today. Like, is that's going to be in, like, the Webster dictionary by next year, if we keep using this term, like, is that been a word that meant a movement to discuss where someone was born? Like before 2011, did we ever hear the term birther? No, not at all. Definitely. It came (laughs) about because like Obama's father is um, Kenyan and he was born in Hawaii. So he used that to (laughs) like posit that Obama might not be American. So he's not supposed to be president. Right. Right. And right. and then like and to trigger more, he even like in, in using the Muslim uh, reference to being like, well, his dad was a Muslim, so Obama's a Muslim. Which oh God, doesn't have any effect here or there. You can be Muslim and be president. You technically, based on the rule, can't be born in another country, um, unless I guess you were born on like a military base and stuff. Mm-hmm. There are some exceptions. I mean, uh, wasn't Ted Cruz born in Canada and like? Uh, some other, and uh, Romney, wasn't he born in Mexico or something? <laughs> I forget. Like, yeah, I know that um, Ted Cruz is a dual citizen. Yeah. So even though he was born in Canada, his, one of his parentage is American. So that's what gives him American citizenship. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't, I don't, I don't remember specifically if that uh, amendment says you need to be born in America or be an American citizen. Uh, I it think doesn't say I American think it, citizen. Yeah. It, you have to be a natural, it says naturalized citizen. That's what it is. That's what it yeah. is. Yeah. 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 So, I, and he might qualify for that statement. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, other countries don't have this problem. People, people can be born in other countries, move to a country, adopt that country as their own, live within its values, and can lead that nation. Mm-hmm. Like there's multiple African nations that have people with European heritage that are their um, their leaders, 
And it's because they came there, they ran businesses, they worked with, you know, other political leaders and ultimately um, became the head of a party and ran and are now leaders of that country, you know, and um, it's, it's interesting how much we cling to this idea of what it means to be American. Mm -hmm. And each year, it seems like we're not looking at the facts and recognizing that you know, just being born here doesn't make you the best candidate for president, necessarily. Not yeah. at all. In my mind. That and the fact that, you know, I'm the one who also has been saying we should have a parliamentary system anyway. Because we have no voice for the minority parties. We have no voice of change, which just red or blue, one versus two. Like, it, it you know, there's no real progress that can come from that equation. Um, so that's an un-American statement, trying to say throw out Congress. But, you know... Uh, I, Maybe this next generation uh, will start to look at these problems and, and realities and, uh, you know, allow Arnold Schwarzenegger to run for president, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the fact that, like, we haven't made a change to the Constitution in such a long time, and we call the Constitution a living document, but we always seem to have really strong things, like the Bill of Rights. Like, it's very funny how much we... Um, put a lot of stock on the Bill of Rights, like the first 10 amendments, right? Yeah. Without forgetting that they were amendments, right? Like the fact that like this wasn't thought of in the original draft. And it, it reminds me when you go to take your car in to a mechanic and you go to one of these like smaller mechanics that's mm -hmm. just like a local guy and he goes to bring up your invoice and you realize he's using Windows 98, <laughs> you know? And you're like, it's because he's had no need to update his system, mm -hmm. you know? He, he orders his parts from his cell phone. Uh, it's just that's his invoice system. He's always used the same computer. Mm -hmm. That's what the Constitution feels like to me. Oh, it yeah. feels like we're loading it on Windows 98, and we've got all these like RAM upgrades and stuff just so that we can still continue using it. Mm -hmm. And no one has said, like, hey, why don't you just get a new P4 Pentium? And, you know, the Constitution is, like, offended at that idea. <laughs> but but that's the reality is, you know, we're, we're this living document that you're talking about. It, it might need to be, you know, replaced is kind of where we're at is, you know, and I think if you, if you drafted the right panel of, of political leaders and of state representatives and of um, even kind of uh, people in the judicial wings and, and then citizens, average citizens, if you created some type of conglomerate of, you know, let's just throw a number out, let's say 5,000 voices of the entire country, you, you could come up with a document that I think would alter incredibly the basis of what we have in the Constitution based on the needs we have today. Mm -hmm. If they actually set out, you would see some of the things carry over, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, you know, um, the the right to a speedy trial, all those things I think would carry over from the Bill of Rights and from the Constitution into the modern age documents. But there would definitely be some things that we would uh, add to it and some some language we would change. Mm -hmm. you, know? Um, uh, it, you know, the right to bear arms unless it becomes a public uh, endangerment, you know, mm -hmm. would be. You know, just things like that. Like, you know, do you need bump stocks on a 300 um, bullet assault rifle, you know, or do you maybe not need that? So, um, but yeah, so Kamala Harris changes to the government. Uh, the, the political race continues. 
that was our look back. That's callback segment. We are now into episode 96. We can now dive in deeper into these topics that we are facing in our world. And uh, so, Chaz, uh, what's the main topic for today, or are we carrying over into more discussion about Biden's VP pick? Uh, we can discuss about Kamala a little bit more. And then I only have, like, one other thing that's really on my mind at the moment. Um, but, like, ultimately for her, like, uh, back when I was talking about how friends who are more on the left were disappointed with her record as a district attorney and AG, uh, but then, like, people who defend her will definitely say that if you look at her record in the Senate. Well, so the interesting thing is, in the Senate, I can't remember exactly how many bills she had sponsored, like, herself, but it's been, like, four of them, and those haven't been totally progressive, like, compared to other things. But right. they always, like, whenever, it feels like her biggest asset is whenever somebody would come into the ju judicial committee, she'd be the one that would grill them with, like, the five minutes that she had. And and that's kind of like what her prosecutorial strength is. And I think that's why a lot of people want to see her go up against uh, Mike Pence at the vice presidential debates. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I think let's, let's uh, just kind of touch in on that. Let's see. Um, in the 2019-20 Congress, she introduced a bill to establish snow water supply forecasting program within the Department of the Interior. Mm. So that's about um you know how we have different snowpacks which leave, which is effective here in washington state mm -hmm. uh, snowpack is the major source of water uh she introduced a bill to ensure that covid19 related federal programs and assistance provide for the translation of informational materials relating to awareness screening testing so that's to um help those who speak different languages other than english um to a bill to provide mortgage relief during covid19 um, she did do a bill to ensure climate environmental justice accountability. Oh, um, that, okay. was, that was introduced 10 days ago. So now you're starting to look into are some of these bills to try and kind of paint her as a more liberal person, you know, because why didn't she propose that bill a year ago? That's been a problem the entirety of her, <clears throat> her stance in the Congress. Uh, so a bill to ensure coverage of COVID-19 vaccine and treatment. Uh, she a bill to amend the CARES Act to modify the membership requirements, probably um, because it, it, Republicans keep kind of reining that in, so less people would qualify for the CARES Act mm -hmm. and get those checks. Um, so yeah, she's got a bunch of these. I mean, obviously, um, she could be a minor uh, sponsor. These might not come directly from her authoring. Um, it looks like there's probably, if I scroll all the way down the list, this is on the Library of Congress, so congress.gov website. Mm -hmm. um, officially, the website tracks probably a good couple hundred um, bills that she's been associated with. But her direct authoring is probably in the 10s or 20s. Um, closing the Meal Gap Act of 2020. So I'm a little curious at what that would be. Let's see what that one is. Uh, I wonder if that has to do with, like, food in schools or something. Yeah, that would probably make a lot of sense. Yeah, uh. because definitely since, um, well, you know what? Yeah, I guess I, we can also talk about people, like, the whole rigmarole of people going back to school. Like, in the whole just, you can't have your cake and eat it, too, but it seems like there's problems on both sides of everything where, where like, uh, because a lot of, like, if you still have a job, you're like 
you're not one to say you're most likely able to work from home. Like if you're an essential worker, you're in the stores. If you're working in any sort of retail, you know, you're working in the stores. Uh, but if you have computer jobs, right? They or office jobs. Everybody there seems to be starting to work from home. Right. And and then the interesting thing there is like like there's always uh what am I trying to say? Right. So I have friends who have children and like Washington, I think Washington's plan right now is the places with very, very low um, COVID numbers can go into schools in the person as a staggered rate. Um, And then the other ones are supposed to uh, do complete social distancing from home, Uh, which it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see um, what happens when. The places with low uh, COVID amounts, but just one person can become a super spreader. So, yeah. It... Well, the only positive that I think comes out of the whole school argument and COVID is we were already kind of looking at how our school day is divided up. Like, how I don't know if you remember going to school, that first period, you're like brain dead, you know, like showing up at school, you're tired, you're lethargic, you know, you're not paying attention. I, I haven't seen the numbers, but I guarantee a high number of first periods have low testing scores because I assume your your brain power is not there. You're not engaged yet, you know. Mm-hmm. And so if COVID makes it to where they even stagger it enough to where your day in school is like cut in half and maybe you're showing up at like nine o'clock instead of like 640 or seven or whatever mm-hmm. time your school starts. um we might see some of these like test scores come up. We might also see dropout rates go down because one of the things that the, the dropping out has to do with is continuing work while they're in, in school mm-hmm. or um, for uh, certain people, they just can't take that much information. Six hours plus of just downloading information. It's too much for them. And so uh, th- this might be a positive in the sense of looking at how we um, teach our kids and how long we force them to kind of be in the program. Even after COVID, we might get some structural changes because of COVID that allow for people to get a little more flexibility in those things. And we might see dropout rates go down and we might see testing scores go up. Um, I don't know what the difference is going to be in college because I do know over the last couple decades, uh, distance learning has definitely become a standard in colleges. You mm-hmm. can you can get an entire degree online, even from um, brick and mortar institutions. So um, I think it might not have as dramatic effect on that. Also, you get to pick your schedule, but we'll see in the in the you know coming years if if changes are made into how people go to school instead of like the seven to three thirty or whatever. And, and if we can get people to be more engaged in their classes and feel more connected to their classes. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, if you're in a population center and your numbers are still up, uh, your school should be closed or mm-hmm. at least uh, distance. I, I, uh, I don't know what some of these states are thinking, but I agree with what you're saying that if you're in a rural area and like, like I went to school with 400 kids, that was our entire high school, 400 kids. I think you could set up classrooms to distance that number of kids and right. have less 
less than 20 people in a room and have them separated and we could probably be at school and if you cut the school day in half and then gave us the rest of the work as zoom classes or at homework i think you could you could nail it and and you would still get that one-on-one interaction with teachers and you could protect your community so i think it totally would work in those type instances now these 2500 plus schools uh i don't know you know that's those are going to be some dramatic changes yeah because like the entire size of your school was the entire was i think actually my ninth grade class if I remember correctly, it was approximately 600 students. Yeah. Right. And and I went to a public school that went 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. And by the time I graduated, there was only 234 people. Right. Right. That was dropout rate. Yeah. Um, but I think in, the, in, in our day of school, it, the, the dropout rates were between 40 and 60 percent, depending on what part of the country you're in. Damn. It. Yeah. It's um. It's you know, there was drugs, there's violence, there's uh, teen pregnancy, there's poverty, there's, um, you know, it's just, there's a multitude of factors that lead to someone ultimately making the decision to withdraw from school. Mm-hmm. But the, the late 90s, early 2000s, it was, it was bad, you know. And I think they kind of reined it in, and I think they did start doing some kind of after-school programs and distance learning at high schools, and I think th- they reined it in. And But it was probably in America... It's got to be in the in the 30s. I mean, a lot of people drop out of school. You know, it's it's it it's not for everybody. So that's true. And I think one of the other things too, like the two things that are I guess problematic about uh, social distancing learning is the amount of uh, stress that it puts on parents uh, yeah. because they have to like like they they have their jobs and then they have to help the kids like maybe sometimes during their school day. Um, and then it also takes some of the strain, puts more strain on them financially because they, before, um, you didn't probably have to feed them maybe breakfast or lunch if they were right. getting stuff at the cafeteria. Now you have to feed them back breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, yeah. So that's going to increase your food bill. Um, for other ways, people who don't have access to reliable internet, uh, due to a multitude of factors, that makes the learning for them a little bit hard too. Um, yeah. All right. It's, oh, and by the way, the the rate currently, if you just Google it, is twenty five percent. So I wasn't too far off with thirty. Mm. <laughs> nice. So one fourth, though, man. One in four kids. That's a lot. Yeah, that's good. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, especially um, since I come from like I don't want to say I come from a family, but like my dad definitely was very gung-ho about, like, me doing well in school, right? Right. Like, like because he thought that's what's going to, like, give me success later in life. My mom, right. I think she wanted me to do well in school, too, but more so along the lines of that's what you're supposed to do and not really in this sort of, uh, like, yeah, not in a, like, think about your future sort of way, right? And, and when I look back on school now, like, the only things that I really use from school are typing skills, um, some stuff I learned about business, and some math, but not much math. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, school is weird. Like, I do think we need to rethink the purpose of school because I feel like a lot of times, like, high school, I mean, high school's high school. I couldn't tell you overall, like, what the purpose of high school is outside of making sure that we have an educated public, 
so they can be better citizens. But due to certain things in schools being um, delegated by how much money comes from that particular neighborhood, uh, people don't always get the same access to things as others. So I definitely, like, if more social distancing learning is happening like this, I would definitely like there to be more more thought to, like, what type of education we're giving everyone access to. Because if everybody has access to the Internet, then maybe we don't need to have school districts anymore, right? Right. And, and I know that, you know, I, I know there's a lot of bigotry involved there, and the added effects of redlining are still felt by that today. Um, but I do feel as though that, like, one, I got this phone call when I was in New Orleans about, like, um, certain school, like what school things could do. And one of the questions was, do you think it should be fun, like how it should be funded? And my answer was like, I'd want them to take a pool of money and like, you know, delegate it, like not from like, not from one neighborhood that goes into that one particular school district, but like expand it out. So that way, even if you live in a low income neighborhood where your property taxes aren't as high, that doesn't mean you get a shot in the foot for not being able to fund uh, schools as much. So yeah, <clears throat> yeah, no, it's uh, right, and it, yeah, the property taxes definitely affect, and they probably should get, yeah go to a pool of some form. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you would see, you, you would see booster clubs and things form in those areas where they were already prosperous to try and keep their schools higher end mm -hmm. but the pool itself would help fund the programs in uh lower income areas and help kind of even up the gap and then yeah if people of um good means wanted to donate to their local school then by all means they can mm -hmm. and those schools would maintain kind of an edge as it were but you would you would bring the what is it the the tide raises all boats theory mm -hmm. so the the tide would be the pool of money and you could lift all boats and so even though some of those boats are bigger and would have kind of fancier things um the baseline would be higher than it is today because um, there are schools in this day in urban areas that actually don't have computer labs and yeah so, you know i mean there are areas that are using textbooks from the 80s um you know and yeah technically physics and math don't really change but the mindset and the and the examples and the stories problems that are in there, the, the the student that are reading them changes. And if you're not addressing the world that that student is living in in a way that kind of engages them, they're not gonna read about you know Reagan era politics and understand it when they're reading a math textbook. You know, it needs to talk about what's happening today. And and that's one of the things that has made you know Hofton Mifflin or whatever a powerhouse in schools is because they print a textbook every year and make these schools buy it, mm -hmm. you know? And so they make billions of dollars on, um, you know, advancement, just changing the, the examples and the, and the kind of phrasing of the, of the questions in their textbooks to match what's happening today. Um, and you would think with kind of modern learning, if you just got issued an iPad and all your textbooks were on it, that textbook costs would come down. Oh, but for course. some reason that hasn't really occurred, you know, uh, e even if you buy an electronic textbook, it can be like $80, $90 for mm -hmm. some, some of these 
<clears throat> programs, especially once you get into college. So, you know, they've got to look at that system. And, and I know, you know, what is the name of the, the YouTube school that that one guy started? It's got like the chalkboard that he just kind of goes over. Oh, um, crash course. <clears throat> No, it's this guy. He, I, I forget what it is. I mean, there's someone listening right now who's yelling at it. But you know, there's, a, there's, there's, I mean, he's been copied ever since then. You know, there's multiple people that are doing, you know, online coursework and and you know, there's websites that are free. You know, that we didn't have when we were kids. You know, and so mm -hmm. there are there are opportunities now for kids to get beyond the uh, the material that is issued to them in school. Mm -hmm. But you have to admit it's easier to use the stuff that's right in front of you. And so if the stuff right in front of you puts you at a disadvantage from the stuff that's at the high school, a mile down the road, you know, we're, we're, we're the same citizens of the same country or, or even the same state or the same County, mm -hmm. you know, why are we putting certain populations at such a disadvantage, you know? And, and, and we got to look at that at all aspects. I mean, it's the same thing with the housing, you know, like, Oh yeah. I, I look at Seattle and everyone wants Seattle to be so progressive. And I'm like, well, why do we have homeless encampments on every other block? You know, why are there RVs parked on every suburban uh, road now that are being lived in? Like it's a residence, you know, mm -hmm. it's because we're, we're being ignorant to the problem that's right in front of us. And yet we want to call ourselves liberal because we, you know, eat granola and vote democratically. <laughs> Mm -hmm. But we ignore our, our neighbor. And whether or not you want to consider the homeless person living in the RV on your block your neighbor, they are. That is your neighbor. That's mm -hmm. your fellow man. That's the person. And, <clears throat> you know, until we start recognizing that schools are leaving whole populations of kids behind and, you know, the homeless crisis is something we can address if we actually face it, we're just going to keep adding to these issues. And they're going to keep carrying over in dropouts and violence and drugs and more homeless and and all these things you start at the root you give people education you give people a home it solves a lot of those other ancillary issues you know <clears throat> yeah or at least, at least gives you a building block form framework that's true i think that i think that happens because implicitly we've decided that all functions of interdependence in our society is delegated to capitalism so right like the whole get a job, pull yourself by your bootstraps, even though it's funny that pull yourself by the bootstraps is supposed to tell you like how insane that is. You can't yeah. really do that. Um, yeah. But like that whole idea that like you'll be fine as long as you make enough money and engage with society through your income. But, you know, wages have stagnated. Um, corporations are giving their C-level executives so much money. Right. And they're increasing their profits and they're just doing everything to like maintain their money at the top. And that's one of the reasons why, like, <clears throat> like, because I notice, like, I, I don't want to just say two people, but the primary factors of like, what do you do about wealth inequality? There are the peoples um, that speak about wealth inequality and say basically bucket up buttercup or something. Right. <laughs> and and just like, yeah, oh, who cares if there's wealth equality? If you work your ass off. All right, you should be able to like gain, you know, enough income to live well, right? And I'm right. like, yeah, that's ideal, but honestly, no, right? Like, it, there's, there's just like there, there's a certain marketplace of jobs that a person can get without a certain level of education, and there's a certain marketplace of jobs people can get with a certain level of education. 
And because yeah. of that, like, if you can't pay for higher education, then you're usually gated from finding those better jobs. Like, you're fighting for the scraps at the bottom, right? right. And, and then, like, for those who do have the higher-level jobs, like, yeah, they do have more privilege and stuff, but they're still, like, mitigated by the fact that they have to work, right? The only way they're generating income is by trading their um, hours for a wage, um, yeah. while at the same time, like, like, like CEOs making millions upon millions of dollars, it's like, they really don't need that much money. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, what was the, there was a visual aid, um, that was going around Facebook the other day where they showed if, uh, if one grain of rice equaled a hundred thousand dollars. Oh yeah. And then, and then they showed what a million of them is and it's quite a few. And then they go, but here's what a billion is. And it was so much more. Mm-hmm. And then they go, and currently today, Jeff Bezos is worth $122 billion, And the guy needed to go get like four 50-pound bags of rice mm-hmm. and individually count it to make the, the model accurate. But it just shows you that, you know, with $100,000 in a lot of communities, you can buy a house. Yeah. So in the approximation of this, example with one grain of rice you could buy a house so you know with a million dollars you could buy 10 houses with a billion dollars you know the numbers just keep compounding to the point where why yeah why does jeff bezos need that much money why does he deserve to have that much money and then why can his company that has achieved him that amount of wealth take an example of like the city of seattle who are now pushing a similar bill to their head tax that they pushed two years ago that we talked about that Amazon went against. And now they're, they're utterly going to gut Amazon in Seattle. They're going to move all of the employees outside of Seattle that they possibly can and not pay that tax so that any revenue that's made by Amazon won't be restricted by the, the head tax and mm-hmm. they can continue doing business as usual. When all the city of Seattle is doing is saying, hey, you guys have profited in an era where we've grown you know, triple digits as a economy. Why don't you take some of that that we yielded you as a city and as a community and as a prosperous region and yield that back to us to help address some of these larger than life problems. And then we can kind of all live in a city that has a started to find solutions for problems that have faced urban areas for the last 150 years. Mm-hmm. And B, um, begin to um, show what wealth sharing looks like in a modern era and how it can be done in a way that both credit can be shared by the corporation. The corporation can actually get, you know, good publicity from their capability of assisting a a municipality. And also the city itself can provide better services for its citizens. And as a whole, just as an average citizen, you get to live in a city that's cleaner, that has less crime, that has less, you know, of a homeless problem. Maybe we can actually start to look at this opioid epidemic, you know. Um, and unfortunately, when you ask companies like this to play a role in these type solutions, the fact that pull stakes up and run is the written answer, and it's been done before, is so frustrating, you mm-hmm. know. And there would be no Amazon without Seattle, period. Uh, They found a location because of Microsoft, because of Boeing, 
of, of, of engineers and intelligent people that were able to yield their roles of employment for years until they became an established entity where now, yeah, they're attracting employees from all over the world. But you wouldn't have seen that market growth. They might have been able to do it in um, the Bay Area, but even then you would have seen so much competition because they would have been trying to establish hand in hand with Google, Facebook, eBay, mm -hmm. Apple, you know. And so some of those companies that tried that in that same era failed because they weren't able to get the top talent because they were getting poached by those other companies. That might have happened to Amazon, but they were kind of the only game in town up here as far as internet-based corporation. Um, and that was that big and had that lofty of goals. Um, and so it's, it's unfortunate that these, these communities provide such you know, bases for these companies to become the juggernauts that they become. And then they look at us like, it's the same thing with these sports teams when they go build me a, you know, $10 billion stadium or we leave. I know it's not $10 billion, but, you know, they tell you to build you a $800 million stadium or they're going to leave town, even though you've been supporting that team for 50 years. Mm -hmm. you know, it, it's all of a sudden it's for not. It doesn't matter. It's only if you pony up the money now. And Amazon is like, yeah, you keep letting us abuse your tax subsidies for the entirety of, of our existence or we're leaving town. It doesn't matter what history we have. And, and th this, is, this is the issue with corporate policy. This is the issue with giving corporations that entity principle, that they are actually a, a citizen of this country and have all these principles of being um, a member of society, but at the same time being this vague entity that you can't actually control or, or see or punish for the most part. You know? mm -hmm. So, yeah, this that's my rant. <laughs> no, no, no problem. Um, yeah, this makes me wonder, like, what's gonna happen to the gentrification of Seattle at this point? Because, like, all of all of the big tech players have a space here. Like, Microsoft is already here on the east side. Um, yeah. Amazon, Facebook, Google, and some smaller players as well are up here too. But to my knowledge, all of those places are working from home. And there, some of those places are working from home permanently. Other places yeah. are working from home until middle of next year. Um, and, and people have left the area. Some people have gone home to their families wherever they came from, whether internationally or somewhere else in the country, and are just basing themselves there yeah. to be with family. And so, you know, if they continue to do remote work, there, there's a segment of Seattle that will never return, mm -hmm. you know. And, and what does that do for those uh, commercial spaces that were being rented? What does that do for the, you know, hopefully and for you and me, uh, you know, housing prices will come down. Yeah. Because there, should, there should be a giant vacancy if 100,000 employees of these tech companies decided to not continue to live in Seattle. That would be a major dent in the housing. Mm -hmm. And due to demand and price and all that, they'd have to lower. Mm -hmm. So, um yeah, we're, we're yet to see it, it. It's in the trillions. I mean, we know that already because the CARES Act is it, the first one was just around a trillion dollars. Mm -hmm. But the effect of COVID is going to be in the tens of trillions internationally when it's all said and done. Oh, yeah. It's going to be we'll probably go down as our most expensive war. If you consider this a war on COVID, yeah. um, you know, it's very it's, American. Well, I'm just saying <laughs> in the sense that it 
it's gone it crosses borders in a way that no other conflict that we've had to deal with did mm-hmm. you know, it knows no bias of 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 alignment you know there's no axis and allies against covid yeah. there's just covid in the world you know and so um it's it's untold how 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 much it's going to cost as well as you know lives as well as just alteration of how we live yeah it's untold because like using amazon as an example amazon has basically they took over south lake union and i think those places are sitting empty right now but but there is a certain degree of ecosystem there because like tech people they make a lot of money and they have enough money to have disposable income so a lot of places like restaurants and places to do fun things after work started to gravitate to those areas and started to build out there Right. So, of course, like if you're looking at it from like a job standpoint, you have the primary jobs at Amazon, at least the secondary jobs um, at like those restaurants there. And then there's tertiary jobs too, like people taking Ubers to go home or go out and stuff like that from those places. So now that we're all from home and we're not allowed to go out, right, like some of those places can still deliver things over DoorDash, Uber Eats and such. Uh, But like the whole the whole ecosystem of the exchange of money to allow, you know, those people to pay, like, like everybody's losing money there. Like, the de- developers who want to make money off the rents of the restaurants aren't making money there. Like, the restaurants aren't making as much money because not a lot of people are going there quite often. Um, right. Like, everything that's in, like, and then all that space that Amazon created for people to work in, it, it's, not, it's not being used. And, by the, and when this ends, like, Will people want to go back to the office? Like, to be honest with you, I love working from home. Um, and, and I know other people, like, the one thing, well, I should say this. What I like about working from home is the only distractions I can ever create for myself are my own distractions. Uh, right. When I was in the office, you would get distractions all over the place. Right? And I think if you need to have a more collaborative work environment, I do think when we get to go back into an office, it would be good to go back to an office. But if, you, but if we figure out how to make that collaborative work environment work while working from home, then I would be very much content with not going back to an office. And, yeah. and because, like, especially where I live, like, I live right next to a supermarket. Um, if I still wanted to go out in my neighborhood once, like, we were collectively going back to bars and restaurants, I could still do that. Right? And, and as long as I let, like, the stakeholders know, if I wanted to work from, you know, five o'clock in the afternoon to 12 o'clock at night, then I could like spend the day running errands and stuff like that. And as long as I didn't have to like talk to anybody during that time or really important meetings to attend to, there's a certain degree of flexibility there that you didn't really get by being in the office. So, so yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see like what places explode um, meaning like people who are moving out of like still because as of right now, I don't think people are going to get less salary as of right now. They might get less salary if they start moving other places because I know there's places that do remote work and will pay you like based on a formula based on like the living standards of where you're at. So yeah. like I honestly think that Detroit could have like a boom and people realize, like, if you're a tech person and you're making, like, $200,000 a year, plus you get bonuses, um, like, there's houses in, in Detroit that's, like, the monthly 
mortgage is under a thousand dollars, right? And you and I both pay more than that for our apartments. Yeah. And and like if you're just working from home, as long as you can get reliable internet in the area, right? And and the thing is, you're gonna have to change like your work schedule. Like here, I believe Detroit is East Coast technically, time wise. I forget. Uh, um, Detroit, yes, yeah. I or is it Central? I always it's forget. I have a yeah. friend who lives in Michigan, right outside of Detroit. And anytime we play Jackbox games online, I, I always think, have to... I think yeah, Detroit's East Coast, Chicago's Central. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's so You're on weird. It. <laughs> <laughs> so time zones are weird. Uh, but yeah, time zones are weird, man. They were invented back in the the days of trains, so that trains could run on time. Uh... General Mountain Time. That's not right. GMT. Oh no, it's just basing it on uh, Eastern Time Zone. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So, like, if you're depending on like where your uh, core hours are based on, like, if you live on the East Coast, you can wake up three hours, like, you know, wake up three hours earlier. Like, you're gonna work later, so that regular nine to five cadence happy hour being at these certain times, like you're probably going to want to, like, some people might want to start their day earlier than that, but it's going to be very interesting to see where people move to when they realize they can work from anywhere. And yeah. and I thought about that, too. Like, like do I want to leave Seattle? Like, do I even want to move to, like, a suburb of Seattle? Um, or, or maybe just to an entirely new city? Right now, I'm like, no, because I like the people here, and, and I like the things that are here. But, you know, I'm still since I'm grateful enough to have a job still, like trying to do the right thing of just like stacking cash while we're working from home. Um, and then like once we get to a point where we go back into an office, it's kind of to ask like, well, what do I want to do next? Like, like do, do I want to stay here in this office setting and have to do that? Or is it, yeah. So it, it's very, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see the world that we come out into after this is all yeah. over. No, for real. Um, that's going to be, it, it, you know, and, and hopefully that's a reality that eventually we will arrive at. Um, and we'll, we'll be it. There will be a post COVID world and not just, you know, the next uh, viral strain pandemic follows this one. So, um, all right. Well, for my distraction topic today, I, I often like to do entertainment stuff. And then other times I like to do sports stuff. So today, to distract us. I like to do a good old combination of the two. And it's a shout out to, to two cultures combining efforts of entertainment and sport. And so for now, we know it as American Ninja Warrior. Oh, and I love that show. Formerly known as Sasuke in Japan. Uh, it's been running there for several decades as a competition show of extreme um, skill and endurance and you know you basically use a series of obstacles to kind of whittle down the population of contestants to the point where you get your finalists and then ultimately you you pit your finalists against the um, the most difficult series of tasks which uh, has like a, a special name is it Mount Noriyama something like that and and it, it it's a throwback to the Sasuke days, which you know was a a very popular program in Japan. And um, 
came over in the early kind of like 2008, 2009 or so. It might have even been a little earlier, 2006 actually, to G4. Remember that channel, G4? Oh, yeah, I watch that channel all the time. I heard maybe it's coming back actually. But interesting. Uh, so, um they they dubbed the Japanese version on that show. It kind of developed a cult following, so they started their own version called American Ninja Challenge to get Americans to be able to be sent over to compete on Sasuke. And that became the channel's most popular television series. And so in 2009, they developed American Ninja Warrior. And for a while, it was to send candidates over to Sasuke to compete. But eventually, in the fourth season, they developed a um, Mount Noriyama of their own in uh, Las Vegas. And so now all seasons of American Ninja Warrior culminate in Las Vegas, where you battle um, the different stages of this uh, obstacle course that includes, you know, jumping between uh, platforms across a moat, uh, holding on to a rolling log, uh, swinging across monkey bars, uh, climbing something called a salmon ladder, which is a pole that is positioned between two posts and you have to kind of jump with your arms and get it to the next post um and then ultimately a ropes challenge after you've competed all those tasks Mm -hmm. so it's a really difficult thing so i wanted to bring it up today because first of all we're facing one of the most difficult um problems we've ever faced as a country with this covid and and i think overcoming obstacles and overcoming something that seems to be too difficult to even approach is something that humans actually have really strong capabilities of doing. Mm -hmm. We can compartmentalize the problem into stages and we can start to address each stage as its own element and slowly but surely knock down the giant of these problems that we face. And no other allegory would fit better than the American Ninja Warrior, where contestants now, they're so aware of the show that they build their own home gyms Mm -hmm. in their yards and in their garages to mimic the stages of um, competition and even include kind of guesses onto things they might have to get good at because each year a new element is added. So you won't know all the things you're going to face. And um, I just want to bring it up because, A, I think it's a great sport that'll exist in the world of social distancing um, because it's one competitor against the field. Mm -hmm. So they could go through the field and then you could sanitize the field and then the next competitor can go. Um, So there's no real risk of of spreading disease. It also it has an element of um, self-discipline that I think is something we, we need to continue to. Uh, teach and work towards in this country about uh, you know putting yourself through the paces you know doing the hard work it takes and then uh, also uh, the idea of celebration and camaraderie um, rewarding ourselves and feeling good about our achievements Uh, one of the things about American Ninja Warrior is most of the contestants don't pass all the obstacles but they don't feel like complete failures Mm -hmm. you know They've approached a very difficult task. They've given it their set of skills, and they've done their best. And so if you fail at American Ninja Warrior, you're not a loser like other sports. You're just a competitor who came up short, and you can still 
pat yourself on the back for the achievements you made. Look at the obstacles that gave you difficulty and come back and compete again, or at least just spend the next year working on those skills to, to be a better competitor. And I, and I think those qualities are just things that we need to continue to promote and develop in this country. The idea of it being okay to fall short and not making the pedestal, the win, the trophy, the money, the glory always be the ultimate, ultimate main thing. But recognizing that the journey itself and the difficult tasks that you accomplish to get there are just as good. And, and, and honestly, make better character for yourself to know who you really are and what you can do. We can't all do everything. You know, I probably could do two, maybe three of the obstacles on American Ninja Warrior successfully. The rest, I would not be capable of doing. So, you know, it's amazing to see the style of people. It's a wide range. It's men, it's women, it's athletes, it's, it's teachers, it's, um, it's, it's, you know, it's everybody. And so, and then, of course, the other side of it is it's entertaining. And I think that's another thing that we need to recognize that, you know, when we're in COVID times, you know, we've, we've streamed everything, we've binge watched everything, you know, we, we, we read that novel we wrote in college one more time just to see if we should try to publish it. You know, we've done all the things. American Ninja Warrior at least is entertainment that's showing certain values about celebrating, about working hard, about achieving our goals. And so I, I know that on this show, we've talked about the Disney Afternoon and about um, ABC's TGIF lineup. So we love good, solid family entertainment. And I think American Ninja Warrior is right there in that realm. Even if you're not one to go out and try a salmon ladder or do some parkour, you can appreciate the, the fun and excitement that is the show American Ninja Warrior and harken back to its uh, history and its traditions that were um, gained in Japan under the Sasuke name and just in general in the, uh, the kind of game show sports television of Japan and, you know, recognize a, a little piece of treasure that we have on our, on our airwaves. Um, this season's going to kick off on September 7th. So um, we'll, we'll see uh, what happens this year for our American Ninja Warriors. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to, to take a moment to talk about setting goals, achieving obstacles, and, uh, and beating Mount, Mount Noriyama. Any, any uh, opinions or comments, commentary on your uh, experience with American Ninja Warrior, Chaz? Well, I think your showcase was pretty pretty good about like how it can align with pretty American values and all that. Um, but I also wanted to talk about like, there are other shows like that now too. Like there's ultimate Beastmaster on uh, Netflix, which is more of a country competition um, that borrows some of the similar elements, like going through an obstacle course, but you know, um, it's more designed. It is. It's yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, uh, the teams, in a way, don't really compete collectively. Like, it's a oh. member of the team. Like, like it's the USA team, but they're still competing as individuals. Oh, and, okay. 
And and that's a lot of ones. And there's been a few like there's in all there's also a new show called Ultimate Tag. So there's been a few um entertain like shows that are supposed to showcase athleticism of average people. Um oh. The Floor is Lava. Yeah, well, see, I was going to get to that because shows like The Floor is Lava and Wipeout are similar, but they're done more for the lulls than they are for the peak athleticism, right? Right. And and that's the interesting juxtaposition between something like uh, American Ninja Warrior where, like, even if they're, like, a doctor, like, usually they are a peak physical person in some regard in their life, right? For sure. But if you yeah. go on something like Wipeout, it, it's just average people, right? right. And, right. and it's definitely like in, in Wipeout, you don't really lose on Wipeout. You fall off and then like you can try to get back up, right? And you can try as many times as you can. And it's the person yeah. with the highest time. So like that's the kind of the obstacle course elements that they borrow from those two. But yeah. But yeah, yeah also- and as far as, as far as the average person, I would say a lot of the American Ninja Warriors, I think, start their process as average people. Mm-hmm. I think they're like go to gym weekly kind of people. And then they become obsessed with this show. And through kind of motivation and, and perseverance, you know, they become qualified for the show. And I've definitely seen people who were athletic in the beginning, but didn't really have the skill set for the individual obstacles yep. come back season after season. And you see kind of a a development of a, of a real athlete. And, you know, we're all just, you know, I mean, we, you and I went and saw Ron Funches do his giggle fit special. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're all just a few training sessions and, a, and, and diet changes away from being athletes, you know, with the right program and the right kind of motivation, you know, almost anyone could become an athlete. You know, it's just, it's, it's difficult for us to maintain the discipline. And the foods that are good are not usually on the list for, for the diets that would lead to that. You know, I mean, I love pizza. Technically, you probably shouldn't eat pizza. <laughs> Everything in moderation. But, right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, because uh, I did like funny enough, I do love that show a lot. And I thought it might be cool to train to be on that show. Um, eh, something to think about, like. I do want to exercise more. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't, I'm really not committed to exercising to the point of like my own peak physical fitness. Um, right. And, and the thing too is like, if you look at the body types of different athletes, um, I forget where I saw it, but it was a picture of people who played everything from like tennis to swimming uh, to gymnastics. And you can see like how their frames differ. Uh, so definitely like if you're doing American Ninja Warrior, like you're probably gonna want to have like balance in like your your frame and your weight, but also make sure that you have like good muscles in your legs, but also your arms, because there is like jumping involved, there is climbing involved, um, yeah, and everything yeah. like that. But you don't want like bulky muscles, right? You you want the muscles that can, because like there's some people there, like there's like I noticed this on American Ninja Warrior where people will have like super big muscles and like look like they're in peak physical fitness, but their muscles weren't built for strength. So like, because they weigh so much, it's hard for their arms, like, especially on the salmon ladder where a lot of people lose there because they're just too big for their frame to do it. So, yeah. So so yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting, like, I do like the fact that, um, I think have more and more shows with people who like, you know, are vaguely athletic enough to do them. 
that there's going to be other avenues for them to uh, promote that. Because, like, we got that back in, like, the 90s with American Gladiator. Um, yeah. We got that for kids on Nickelodeon Guts, right? Like, well, we had American Gladiators 2000 for kids, hosted uh, by uh, the guy. Uh, who's the guy that was in American Idol for the longest? And he does the Ryan radio. Yeah, he was the host. Wow. <laughs> America of uh, yeah, American Gladiator 2000. Uh, any any last topics you want to talk about? We have crossed the hour threshold, my friend. Yeah, no, I don't really. Well, let me see. Um, I think we're approximately like 87 days from the election. Um, and one of the things I guess I wanted to touch on, like I don't really know what specific things to touch on, but the whole Trump is trying to sabotage uh, the USPS, so we can't vote by mail. Um, yeah. like, but hopefully like, um, vote early, vote often as they like to say, but also like if they are getting, if you are getting stuff from the mail, um, uh, I forget who the person is exactly, but they're saying if you don't trust that it's going to be delivered in time because the new postmaster general is definitely slashing a lot of the productivity tools that they have right now to make them ineffective. And this is on purpose. Um, right. And I honestly don't know what we can do right now outside of, like, voicing. Like, I think this is one of those things that deserves a protest. Like, like let's march in the streets and say, like, let's save the U.S. or, like, the U.S. Postal Service, right? And, and don't take our mailboxes. Right, yeah, because I saw a picture online. I don't know how real it was or not that someone it put. In Portland. They were, they, they, were, they were taking one of every, like, they were, like, it was crazy. It was, there was like 40 mailboxes removed from the city of Portland. Damn. Yeah, yeah, in Seattle, there's people putting locks on mailboxes. So it's like, what? Yeah. Like, so it's, it's real. Um, but yeah, and it's, it, they're, they're also removing um, a bunch of the high-speed processing machines mm -hmm. from facilities. So they're saying it's all budget cuts, but it just happens to be being done four months before the election or three months before the election. So. Yeah, I mean, Trump already said, like, on Fox News, uh, we're doing this to the USPS because uh, I want a bottleneck uh, vote for mail. Like, like, literally, like, he is trying to steal the election. And I have yep. no clue what we're supposed to do about it other than protest. Like, if exactly. there's a protest for the post office, I'm going to that shit. Like, like yeah. fuck it. COVID... Well like this is this is this is some bullshit. So we'll try we'll try and get together next week and we'll 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 try and do a few more episodes a month while we're uh heading into the election and and we'll we'll touch more on the uh that'll be a preview of our of our post office conversation next time. We'll uh we'll get a little more evidence and and find out what's exactly going on and and hopefully find some uh some available solutions or, or things people can do to raise their voice. So uh, Chaz, or well, as always, you can get a hold of us at the show at hylbox at gmail.com. That's hylbox at gmail.com. That's the email box for the show. Shoot us topics, give us requests for people you know that want to come on the show or tell us about your experiences in your local government, running for government, voting for government, or any type of scandal that's going on um, that you think someone needs to uh, be talked about on the show. Uh, also, you can get a hold of me at Seatown Mayor, S E A T O W N M A Y O R, on the Twitter sphere. I've removed myself from social medias for a little while. 
uh, just kind of taking a break, and uh, I'm going to keep the Twitter open. So that's going to be my one kind of connection. I'm not going to do the scrolling, but I will check the mentions. Uh, so shoot me a message there. Chaz, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, you can follow my page at facebook.com slash the random musings of Chaz Bez. I still need to figure out like what voice I'm going to use that for. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram at uh, Chaz underscore Bez there. Um, and that's basically like Instagram is just like me doing stuff, but I don't post on there very often. But I am trying to like some things that we talk about on here. If I can extrapolate more of my feelings on the random musings of Chaz Baz, you should be able to look there for stuff like that. Still haven't done it yet, but still trying to figure that out. Still, still just trying to get used to social distancing. This is so weird. Like it is weird. Man. I I mean I I'm sorry. Like I I guess I am an extroverted person, and I like going out and being social. And I haven't had a hard time with this, except for on weekends. Like, usually yeah, I'm just weird. like, yeah, I'm what like, what do you do? Well, yeah, exactly. I'm like, I'm so yeah. used to going out. Like, yeah. and, and then I tried a few times to just, uh, like, not do my morning routines and not do my weekly routines to see how I felt. And I was like, no, I need to do these. Like, I need yeah. some routine in this weird-ass setting. So, <laughs> All right. Well, it was good talking to you, Chaz. Stay healthy, and uh, one of these days we'll record in the same room. Heck yeah. All right. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening, and uh, we out. Peace. Peace. Tap that key. Hit that spawn near wake and flat. Get the block. I got what you want. I got what you need. Fuck your bro. I got loads of crow. I got hella tree. That your hoe. Good at taking bone. Better run her knees. I don't sleep. Yeah. Had the money look. And that's where I'm going to the moon. Who he made the news. Rolling up your friends. Yeah. Fuck it.